1: Hello there and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. Hope you're well after what has been, well, not not the best week of recent times. Actually one of the worst weeks of recent times. I'm talking very recent times and oh cool. I I was sitting here recording, right? And I've got a cup of coffee and a biscuit and I've eaten most of my biscuit. Well, I thought I'd eaten all of my biscuit, but there's a a significant I won't say crumb, but enough of a chunk of a biscuit to make you think, ooh, that's just excellent to have that little bit left. It's like a surprise. So I've got that there, but I won't eat it while we're talking because the sound of people eating is, well, it's despicable. It's one of the reasons actually that I, I dislike going to the cinema so much. And it's not because most films these days are completely and utterly shit, even though that is a, that's a big part of it, I have to say, but it's the, it's the eating. Sitting beside or behind or uh, in front of or or near somebody who is just chomping their way through through stuff that's loud. Why can't they just sell soft food in the cinema, like jellies and chocolate? No hard shell chocolate. Instead, it's all it's all popcorn and nachos and crisps and crunchy things. And that does my head in. The sound of people eating is. It's really, really terrible. Why can't people just have their dinner before they go to the cinema? Why do they have to have feasts of stuff? Anyway, I won't inflict that on you because I am, I'm very considerate, very considerate person, particularly this week when everybody is a little bit more down in the dumps than they were this time last week, because this time last week we were on a fantastic run. We were on top of the world, kind of thinking it was all gravy and other nice sauces and stuff. And instead, on Monday night, we got like, what's a really horrible sauce? Um, uh, I don't know, some kind of cheap ketchup that comes in one of those dispensers that's a tomato with the little spout on the top of it that you get in cafes and stuff. That kind of ketchup. Where it comes out, it's, not, it's kind of really dark red and it doesn't taste like... Ketchup should. You know that kind of ketchup? One of those. That's what it is. Because we were hoping to go 11 games unbeaten on Monday night when we faced Swansea. Instead, instead of being 11 games unbeaten, we're now one game beaten. So I don't know if that's 10 or 11 worse than what we thought. Could be 11, could be 10. I'm not sure. Is one beaten, offset by the ten unbeaten, so it's only nine. I'm not quite sure of the mathematics of the thing. All I know is that it is either nine, ten, or eleven worse than what we thought it was going to be, and that's a significant amount of anything to be worse. Now, of course, we've got to pick ourselves up ahead of a very, uh, very tricky game coming up this weekend away at Old Trafford, Manchester United. We've got to refine our mojo. That is, indeed, if our mojo was was actually lost. Maybe it was just. Mislaid, maybe just was a little bit under the weather, poor little Mojo. So we have to see. We've got to pick ourselves up and and get ready, if uh, you know, to to kick some ass again this weekend. Otherwise, we'll have we'll have bad sauces. Nobody needs bad sauces. So uh, you know, let's get let's get back on the Heinz ketchup here, if we don't mind. Uh, but we'll touch on that game between now and the end of the show. So what else has been happening this week? Not a huge amount, because when you lose, you know, things go things go a little bit quiet from an Arsenal news point of view. But I have to say, the Thomas Vermaelen story is particularly, particularly amusing. Um, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but basically, as is uh, typical of many contracts, there are performance-based clauses in it. So uh, when you sell a player, you say, well, pay us this much. And if he makes this many appearances, you pay us that much. And then uh, if you win this, you pay us that much. And if you win this, then you pay us that much. And apparently there is a clause in Thomas Vermaelen's contract to say that if Barcelona win the Champions League, then Arsenal are due a further payment of 4 million euros, 4 million euros from Barcelona. This is very nice. Nice bit of money. Could go some way to funding a new goalkeeper or another defensive midfielder or the mythical 30-goal-a-season striker or indeed the extra 15-goal-a-season player that Arsene Wenger wants. It's a nice bit of money, especially when you consider that Thomas Vermaelen has not played a single game for Barcelona yet this season. We managed somehow to get him in a state whereby he passed a medical but then spent nine months out of action. I think that, I think that's pretty remarkable. I remember when we were um, moving house once, we had this big hole in the wall, um, in our in our sort of, uh, by the back door, there was just a great big hole in the plasterboard. And, well, we weren't going to spend a great deal of money doing it. So Mrs. Bloggs got this kind of weird, I can't remember what you call it. Is it called scrim tape? Something like that. But it's kind of like a meshed tape and you put it over the hole and then you're supposed to put a bit bit of polyfill around it, and then you just sort of paint over it. But whatever it was, when people were coming to look at the house, we just sort of painted over it. And luckily, nobody knocked on that part of the wall, and there was essentially just a great big painted-over hole in the wall. Uh, but we got away with it and sold the house and moved to Spain. It was brilliant. So I think that's kind of what we've done with Thomas Vermaulian, is we've, we've done something to his hamstring that made it last a Barcelona medical. Taken the money, said thank you very much, and then waited for it all to, to fall in the minute somebody knocked on his on his hamstring wall so to speak but i mean maybe it's just barcelona's medical procedures aren't that great whatever the truth of it it's still very funny that they have to pay us a lot of money and of course that's driven the mental particularly some of them in the uh, the catalan press who who feel that perhaps uh, arsenal have well what's the word pillaged barcelona financially over the last number of years like they've spent 15 million pounds on alex song and they spent 13 million pounds on alexander kleb And they spent a load of money on Emmanuel Petit, who didn't work out there. And there was a great headline in one of their newspapers, um, I think it was Sport, from last year. And it says, Barcelona have already paid for one-third of Arsenal's new stadium. The amount of money that they've given us on transfers uh, over the last number of years has paid for one-third of the Emirates Stadium, which is pretty impressive. So for all their talk of DNA and this that, and the other, we've kind of you know, fleeced them. Seriously, thirteen million pounds for Alexander Kleb, who is now—I don't know if you know this—but he is playing in the Moldovan third division. It's true. He went from Barcelona to Birmingham, then went from Birmingham to—I think he might have gone back to uh, to to Belarus. Not sure. But now he's playing in the... I don't know. I don't know where he's playing, actually. Actually, hang on a sec. Yeah. He's actually in my back garden. That's where he's playing now these days. £13 million. Alex Song as well. Whew. £15 million, whatever that was. Although, you know, you'd nearly pay £15 million just to, to watch the most cringeworthy gif of all time where he's... Uh, he thinks that the trophy is for him, and it's actually for for Abidal, who had you know the cancer and all that kind of stuff. And well, yeah, my toes are curling even thinking about it. So that's uh, that's Barcelona for you. There you go. They've um, they're cross, very very cross. I'd say if the if the press had anything to do with it, they'd uh, they'd be happy to see Barcelona chuck the final just so they wouldn't have to pay us that four million euros for a player that has never played for them so far. I hope he does go on and play for them. It's a nice guy from Ireland, really. But, you know, that's football. So that was the most uh, entertaining story of the week, and it is quite entertaining, uh, particularly when you put it in context of the football itself, which wasn't that entertaining at all. Um, The Swansea game, big disappointment and uh, fine margin. So as we said on the Arscast Extra on Monday, uh, you know, if we score that goal in the 78th minute, the chance that Alexis had and the rebound that fell to Theo Walcott, score that goal, I think we go on and win the game. Uh, as it was, uh, some poor defending, poor goalkeeping, and, well, it well, it's all a bit different. Well, it's all very different. It's 9, 10, or 11 worse. That's what it is. I don't know which, but one of those worse. Uh, and the challenge for us now, of course, is to, is to not do what we normally do after being on a good run, and we lose, or, or we kind of come off the rails a little bit. We have a, a couple of games that don't quite go as well as we would like, given that there's only... Only I mean, one, two, three, four games left this season. We don't have any time to to get into that nonsense. We've got to pick ourselves up and get straight back into it uh, against Manchester United. And speaking of which, speaking of Manchester United, let's um let's get a bit of perspective from their side of things. Has their season gone as well as they would like? They're back in the top four, uh, at the very least. I think they've got a Champions League qualifier. Um, and maybe at the start of the season, given where they finished last season, that would have been that would have been the aim. But anyway, to uh, to chat a little bit about Manchester United and also the game coming up on Sunday, our old friend Musa Kwanga. Hi there.
2: Hi there. Thank you for having me again. Um,
1: my pleasure. Listen, uh, before we get into all that, I just want some quick thoughts uh, on the the Champions League final. Real Madrid knocked out by Juventus, so we're denied. And I put that in sort of air quotes the El huh. Clasico final. What, what are your thoughts on it? Would you have liked to see that Ronaldo versus is messy, or does that game, the, the way it goes on anyway, the sort of the cheating and diving and, and the, the whatever drives these brilliant players to behave in that way during, during a normal uh, derby, it would have been ten times worse in the European final?
2: Yes, I think it would have been dull, to be honest. I mean, I'm really excited by the idea of Barcelona playing Juventus because uh, Juventus have a fantastic midfield. It's very well balanced. There'll be a real threat to Barcelona. Uh, and the challenge for Barcelona, I think, will be playing through that midfield, given that it's so physical. And, you know, if you look at the uh, Barcelona midfield, they've only really got Rakitic in terms of a scrapper. Arguably, um, Juventus have got, you know, we've got three, Marquisio, Vidal and, and Pogba. So it's a very, very good tactical battle there. Uh, and, and also, let's not forget Juventus fully deserve their place in that final. They actually outthought Madrid over both legs, and with the exception of the first, I think, forty minutes, um, they were the better side. I think for the majority of the two legs.
1: Yeah, I, I much prefer the idea of a final between t- two teams from from different countries. To be perfectly right.
2: honest, feels old school. Yeah, feels old school. Champions. Old school. Yeah, we
1: don't get enough of that. <laughs> no. uh, and obviously, the, the the seedings and stuff are changing for next season, so there there might be more of that. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, so okay, well look, we we'll, we we'll look forward to that, right? So, Manchester United are still facing Manchester United on Sunday. How uh, have you viewed United' season? I guess after finishing seventh last season, the the aim this time around was perhaps some consolidation and obviously to get back into the top four, and and that's happened. You know, does that um, mean genuine progress?
2: Yes, I mean, I mean, we're just happy. I think a lot of United fans are just happy to be back in in the mix in the top four obviously they're still qualifying to go and I think you know we'll get into that but I think we've left um, ourselves just slightly too much to do in terms of a clutching third place I think that's that's almost that's pretty much gone now but there's been encouraging signs in the last two or three months most importantly playing cohesive football you know it's not just about getting great results as a football fan some will say it's not even primarily about that it's about playing football that is Coherent with a thought-out strategy behind it, that's true traditions of the club, and we've seen, I think, in patches the last couple of months, a really exciting Manchester United.
1: There, there were some issues, I think, for Van Gaal when he arrived, and I suppose for any manager to try and implement his ideas on a squad that was probably a little dishevelled, obviously, after Ferguson left, after Moyes left. Um, he was a guy who obviously tried to, to introduce his own methods at Manchester United. That clearly didn't work. Van Gaal came in, did much the same. And, and people spoke about how it was quite similar when he took over at Bayern, in the sense that the first two or three months there just were all over the place, and then, then it came together. Is that, is that what's happened?
2: That's exactly what's happened. And I was speaking to a good friend of mine um, from Stuttgart. He's a diehard Bayern fan. He was saying that, you know, Van he laughed. He said, look, just give the guy time. The same thing happened in 2009, as you mentioned. I think the turning point they identified then was the 4-1 win away at Juventus in the Champions League. A fantastic game. Um, and lots of the patterns are similar. You have, uh, just as a Bayern, you have Van Hal promoting Young players and give them a real profile on the team they might not otherwise have had. So Paddy McNair, for example, coming through uh, when people expected Tom Thorpe to come through from the reserves. But you also have the players learning the system. And, you know, that's something, let's not be, let's not be too revisionist about this. Van Gaal has made some mistakes. Um, he has done things like play Rooney in midfield where it wasn't really his role. He's maybe persisted a bit too long with Van Percy and Falcao up front. But ultimately, it seems that he's muddled towards some kind of cohesive solution, and that that's exciting for the next few the next few months.
1: It's interesting as well, isn't it, that somebody like Ashley Young, who I, I mean, I'm not following Manchester United with any great uh, detail, but from the few Manchester United fans that I follow on Twitter, never been the most popular guy uh, amongst Manchester United fans. But it's not uh, Di Maria and it's not Falcao, but uh, Ashley Young that's sort of risen to the occasion over the last few months. Weird.
2: Well, it, it, it's, it's one of these things that, in hindsight, it makes more sense than it should. So if you look at uh, Di Maria, Maria, is a fantastic player. He's a destructive player. But he's also quite profligate when it comes to ball possession. Um, Ashley Young you know when he was at Villa and actually his first season at United he got some very important goals for us we became second to City um, Ashley Young has always been very intelligent at using the ball and very good at parts of the tactical system he's been very good all across the forward line in a front three and in a four three two one, 3 2 one so he's a smart player but I think none of us anticipated just how well he would take to to reinventing himself as an left wing back, which even now as I think about it feels (laughs) faintly absurd, right? Yeah.
1: Mm. Uh, And I know that when the the summer was out, despite the fact that Arsenal spent pretty well overall, you know, with bringing in Alexis um, and and, uh, four other good signings, I think there was still this clamour as it went on on deadline day that, okay, United have spent 60-odd million on Angel Di Maria from Real Madrid and they're bringing in Falcao. The idea was that Falcao was going to come in and blow away the Premier League. Uh, the the profile that he had, the reputation. Obviously, there's a quality player, or there used to be perhaps a quality player in there. And on the money that he was coming in, 300 grand a week, whatever it was reported right. to be, people were scared that Manchester United were going to be absolutely terrifying. But um, that hasn't worked out for, for the Colombian.
2: No, and I feel for the guy because, you know... He's a real team player. He's a real professional. This is a guy who, even when he got injured, went to the World Cup to cheer on, to cheer on his team. So mm-hmm. he's the kind of person you really root for. And I was speaking to Tor Christian Carson, um, who is a sort of uh, scouting consultant, and he was the sporting director at Monaco. He said the Falcao is the most humble person he's ever met in football. So he's a guy that you always root for. But unfortunately, those two injuries have just really taken it out of him. And I'm not sure we'll ever see the great player he was again. And similarly, Di Maria. Di Maria had a very, very free role at uh, at Madrid, which is why he was so destructive. But, you know, unfortunately, Van Hal is the polar opposite. You know, if you've got a less than 80% pass completion rate, Van Hal's Van going to look at you very, very, um, uh, very, very harshly. And that, unfortunately, has, has been Di Maria's problem this year.
1: Do you th- I mean, is that something that he'll adapt to in a second season or would there be... Uh, a feeling that perhaps uh, if they can move him on this summer, that might be the best for all concerned.
2: You know, I, I like, I like Demir a lot, but I'm just... I, I can't see this one working out for him, unfortunately. I just can't see it happening because, you know, this, this uh, protracted loss of form not just affected by the burglary of his house a couple of months ago. It's kind of been in the offing from the first few months of the season. And there's a sense that his performance at United is maybe in a gradual decline. And there are also stories coming out that maybe he's not the most motivated in training. So Hmm. we'll have to watch this space. But it's not looking good at this point, unfortunately.
1: Funny, isn't it? Because you have to pay a certain amount of money to get in a player. And with that money comes uh, an expectation of, I suppose, quality, but also endeavour. Uh, And when you look at Alexis Sanchez from an Arsenal point of view, come in for 30 odd million and he's a relentless trier. His effort is is beyond question, even if his end product sometimes. And it seems a bit strange to say it about a guy who's got 24 goals and 11 assists and only needs two more goals to equal Thierry Henry's debut season at Arsenal. You mm. know, sometimes he, there's an area where he could he could definitely improve, but it's impossible to say that Arsenal haven't got value for money. Whereas with De Maria, it seems almost the opposite.
2: There has a bit value from Lionel There's no question about that at all. And the exciting thing about Oleksis as well and his work, I think, which is so great, is that it raises everyone else's level. People often don't talk about that, you know, in terms of a player. It's not just stats and how many goals they're scoring, but it's the aura they have. Mm. You know, Luis Suarez had a similar effect on Liverpool. It wasn't just the goals. It was the relentlessness. It was a sense that even, you know, a game when it was 2-0, two, th- 3-0, was still a challenge. Mm. That's something actually that's worth paying the extra $10 million for, $15 million for whatever it is these days because... You know, that, that's something that raises teams to, to a truly great level.
1: I guess that's, a, that's down to scouting then, you know, to identify those traits in a, in a player. Absolutely right. Um, and, and, you know, it's not the first time that South American has come to Manchester United for big money and not done what people have expected.
2: Well, Verón, absolutely. I mean, yes. it's funny because Verón was even unluckier because he was, at least with Di Maria, that was a sign of where he could play. But with, with Verón, we already have one of the best midfields in the world. mm uh, and, and it almost felt that we, we bought Varon because he was there, and then we bought him, and he brought him to a team where we had Scholes and Keane already doing pretty much what Varon did. Maybe not quite to the same level in terms of the passing side, because Varon was an extraordinary passer. But I, I, I think Di Maria had a fairer shake than than Varon um, than did, actually. I think this one's on Di Maria, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, Varon sort of always felt a bit like uh, Ferguson's Esprit a moment.
2: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Upset the balance. Very mm. good analogy. Right.
1: Right. Um, right. Well, let's uh, let's touch on somebody that Arsenal fans will be very familiar with, and that's Robin van Persie. And right. what's happening with him? I saw stories today that Van Hal is considering letting him go next season. He's been in and out of the side through.
3: She sleeps hot, even when the weather outside is frightful.
0: Jack Frost here likes it cool.
3: Introducing the new Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Now temperature
1: balancing, so you can sleep better together.
0: But will it keep me asleep?
1: Yes. It intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you both effortlessly comfortable.
0: Will I have more energy for holiday shopping?
1: Does Rudolph have a red nose? It's the final days to save up to $700 on new Sleep Number 360 smart beds. Plus special financing. Ends Thursday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself, treat yourself to candy,
1: through injury, his influence has certainly waned. I've seen United fans complaining about him when he is in the team that um, what he brought in his first season is no longer there.
2: I I think Van Persie, there's an element of sympathy at one one level uh, because I feel that Ferguson wasn't entirely frank with him. I think he thought that Ferguson would coach him for more than just one season. <laughs> yeah. I think that's I think that's very fair. We've seen a real uh, lessening intensity in his play. There's all kinds of stats about how many touches he's having, how many sprints he's making. You know, he's just really uh, a lot of the figures are down on last year. He's had injury, but also the desire doesn't seem to be there. You know, Van Persie's never been a fast player. Mm. But he looks noticeably slower, heavier. The intensity is down for all you know, for all kinds of reasons, and maybe partly because he's no longer the focal point of the team. Um, you know, giving Rooney that contract was always a strange one because it means that Rooney is kind of Rooney at one point was more of a number ten, but now as a pure number nine, he's a direct competitor to Van Persie. And actually, in terms of our attack, he's a better player. Yeah. Um, and at this stage of his career, unfortunately, Van Persie wants regular football, and I don't think he'll find that at United next year.
1: I mean, I, uh, it's sort of uh, after the horses bolted kind of stuff. But I was, you know, told on fairly good authority that when when the deal went through, um mm. was unhappy as a lot of Arsenal fans were about it. Um, Arsene Wenger's thoughts on it were that Van Persie had eighteen months left at the very top level, and after that, it was going to go it was going to go downhill. So.
2: That is extraordinary. That's very, very, very well observed by Wenger because... Mm. I mean, Wenger, Wenger has a history of being able to sell it, people at their peak. I mean, it's very difficult to look at um, players that Wenger has sold, with the exception of Adebayo, who had other, had other issues as it recently transpired. It's very difficult to identify players who've left Arsenal and, and become better. Yeah. Um, and Wenger's the king of that, I think.
1: Yeah. You could look at Fabregas, I guess. Um, but it's not so much a case of becoming better, but certainly he's maintained his... His level, which was really high, in the well, first
2: Fabregas is an interesting one, as you mentioned, because, funny enough, I mean, if you talk to Barcelona fans, they were extremely happy to see the back of him, almost to a man and woman. Mm. Um, so, I think there are questions about Fabregas and his uh, maybe the team chemistry, and also how how good he is at a truly elite level for a club throughout a season. Yeah, there's other issues there, of course. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, what have you what have you made of Arsenal season? Um, something I wrote this week, which is quite interesting, mm. is that. We, If we win our final three games of the season, end up with 79 points in in the Premier League, which is exactly the same number of points that we got last season. And the, the feeling last season was one of frustration saved by an FA Cup win. And this time around, it feels different. Um, because I think people can see that there's been genuine progress made in, in certain areas. Obviously, there's still room for improvement and, and places that we can do better. But in general, the the, the feeling, the gut feeling is that this is a, a team better placed to to make progress. Um, what, what have you made of it, obviously, looking from the outside?
2: I think, look, I, I, look, a lot of people thought that I was an Arsenal fan for many years because I was complimentary about them. And I think that what Arsenal need, you need a couple of killers, Right. You need the the team. I hate this. I don't want to offend Arsenal fans, but I still think the team is too nice. Whenever Arsenal win games, I look at the result and think Arsenal deserve to win that game. And I want Arsenal to win more games that they don't deserve to win. (laughs)
1: They,
2: They need they need they need killers. They need people like, you know, I don't know if you need to find a kind of a version of a Ben Teke type player that scores explosively. Someone is a foil I mean, I'm hoping well back, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, will develop into that player for you. Um, And also the base of your midfield. You know, I wrote a piece just now for ESPN about how Condogbia could be a great answer to United's midfield problems. I think the same would be true for you. Mm. Because if you look at the later stages of the Champions League, right, you're not going to outplay teams like Barcelona. You're not going to outplay them. What you can do is disrupt them. And to disrupt them, you need a player like a Xavi Martinez, who's not for sale because Bayern would be mad to sell that guy. Yeah. Or, or Kondogbia, who is available, and I can't see him staying another year at Monaco with all the offers coming in for him. Yeah. So I just think, look, I, I, I love what Arsenal have done. I just think they need an element more ruthlessness, if that's fair.
1: No, I think that's perfectly fair. And I think you're you're right to the point where you say that we're a bit too nice at times. And I think there's a bit more edge to the team this season. Kockelan has come in and performed yes, yes. very well. He's added that quality to the team. But you'd like right. to see it in certain other areas as well, a ruthlessness. Actually, there was a game a few weeks back. It could have been... Oh, I can't remember. One of the home games, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the game away. There was a one-goal lead anyway, and in the last ten minutes, I think four Arsenal players picked up yellow cards for really, really cynical fouls Right. Uh, to stop breaks going through. Ramsey was one, Monreal was one, Coquelin could have been one, I don't remember. But certainly, um, without trying to uh, dismiss the aesthetics of the game, and I think we all love those, there is a time and a place to take a yellow card. Uh, And I think Arsenal can can do more of that.
2: Well, the best Arsenal sides under Wenger were characterised by that. They were tough teams. People forget this almost. You know, there's a slight revisionism. It was all silky. Well, look, they were tough as hell. Like Mm. Dennis Bergkamp was, I mean, he was one of the most terrifying (laughs) opponents that Ferdinand faced. Ferdinand was talking about how, uh, one of his books, about how um, he made him feel really small because he would barely speak to you. And you look at those, those sort of icy eyes. And, you know, I... I don't want to sort of denigrate the great Dennis Bergkamp, but I I slightly fear what kind of character he might have been in a war zone. I think he might have been a a lethal proposition. So, you know, (laughs) Arsenal always had that. You know, even their silky players had the hard streak and it's something they can develop. And don't forget, you've got fantastic players like Oxlade-Chamberlain, who are, you know, I I, I think that guy's a terrific player, great vision, great speed, great power, great passing ability. So it's, it's there for Arsenal. I just feel you need maybe two more acquisitions, one as a squad player, one as a regular starter to mm-hmm. make you take the next leap.
1: All right. Very quickly then, just looking ahead to, to the game on Sunday, you say third place is pretty much out of your hands. Don't feel think you can get there?
2: Uh, I don't think really. I mean, what, you're, you're five points ahead with a, a game in hand, is that right? Uh, i just going to look points, that up. Two, sorry, two points ahead with a game in hand.
1: Two points ahead of a game in hand and uh, the two games are, are Sunderland and West Brom.
2: So we have to win our last two, basically. I mean, it's, it's possible, um, but uh, United aren't really sort of banking on it, um, I think, at, the, at this stage.
1: Yeah. Um, a return, perhaps, for Danny Welbeck at Old Trafford again. Would that surprise you to see Welbeck perhaps come back from injury and start ahead of Olivier Giroud, who's, who's had a fine season, but... Um, has struggled a little bit in the last in the last few weeks. No goal in five for him now. So if Welbeck is fit, could he come and uh, repeat perhaps what he did during the FA Cup game?
2: I don't see why not. Welbeck's got terrific movement, as as many people know. I'm, I'm a fan of his movement, and it's just a shame his finishing isn't more mm-hmm. isn't more lethal. Um, look, I, I like Jiru a lot. I, I've spoken before about. I was so impressed that Giroud played um, in the two one defeat at Old Trafford. I think it was a couple of years back when Van Persie scored after five minutes after the Vermalen mistake. Yeah. And I was so impressed then by the effort that Giroud, I mean, Giroud was basically running to all corners of the field at that point. And it's a terrific pivot for an attack. I think tactically he's actually a great person to start with. You know, he hasn't scored for five games, but look, Giroud, when he moved from, I think it was at Montpellier, is the same as the Shamak problem. The, this team was not geared around his strengths. Yeah, This is not an aerial team. So whenever we look at Giroud's goal-scoring stats, we have to factor in the fact that this is not a team designed for him. It's a team that he's had to adapt to. And actually, you know, Giroud's touch play, his build-up play, is as good, actually, as almost any centre-forward in the league.
1: Yeah, I think the Shamak problem is <laughs> a slightly different one. It,
2: well, well, Shamak's funny. only because Shamak scored a lot of goals and then just seemed to lose confidence at an absurdly quick rate. And yeah. that was... I still find that a bit weird. I know he wasn't maybe an elite player, but I think he was slightly better than he he turned out to be. Uh, A bit like Mateo Kesman, but that's another
1: story. (laughs) Maybe we send him to Holland and see if he can score some goals there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All
1: all right, Musa, thanks very much indeed, as always, and hopefully we can catch up again next season.
2: Pleasure's mine. Best of luck. May the best team win. Indeed. Thank you. Bye.
1: Always a gentleman. Thank you very much indeed to Musa. You can find him on Twitter, if you like, at Okwanga. at Okwonga, and may the best team win indeed. Come on, man. Seriously, no. May Arsenal win, I think is what we're saying here, essentially. I mean, I like that magnanimous thing that he, you know, but no. May Arsenal win even if they're not the best team. May Manchester United be the best team and Arsenal still win? I'm completely and utterly down with all that. Uh, But we'll see what happens. And then, of course, well, we've got that game on Sunday. We'll uh, touch on team news in a few moments' time. And also, oh, we've got a game in midweek as well, don't we? We're going to be previewing. Uh, as well as reviewing on the Arsecast Extra on Monday, myself and James, because that game in hand that we have is taking place next Wednesday? One of those things that I should have looked up again. But I do think it's Wednesday uh, ahead of the final weekend of the Premier League season. Yeah, let me just, I'm just clicking. Just give me a second. Yes, Wednesday the 20th of May, Sunderland at home. That is our game in hand. So let's hope we're not making it too difficult for ourselves going into the the final game of the season against Tony Pulis' West Brom. See if you've got any players left to play in the cup final after that one. Anyway, that is all to come um, on the Arscast Extra and, of course, on next week's ArsCast. Can you believe it's almost the final weekend of the season? It really, really has flown by. I don't know what's going on, really. Time is just whizzing by. Time flies when you're having fun sometimes. So why didn't the early part of the season take absolutely ages? It doesn't feel like it did. Anyway, you might remember last week I gave you a chance to win one of five signed copies very generously given to me by our good friend Amy Lawrence. Five signed copies of Invincible, which is out now in paperback. So if you haven't picked up your copy ahead of the uh, summer holiday, something to read on the beach or wherever you might be going, you can find it in the bookshops now. But the following five people answered the question correctly. From which Brazilian club did we sign Edu? Lovely, lovely yeah, I do. And uh, the answer was Corinthians, Corinthians. And the winners are, as chosen by the random number generator. the winners are Tom King, Olivier Ten, Marvin Slocum, Kean O'regan, and magnificently named, Latoya Christensen. So well done to you five. I'll be in touch with you to get your uh, addresses, and we'll get the books posted out to you as soon as we can. Uh, so well done, to, well done to you guys. And uh, seeing as we're in the competition mood, we will uh, give you another copy of a book to give away, a copy of, uh, uh, what the hell is my book called? The one that I did with Andrew. What the fuck? Together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season. Yes, I should know that. I do know that. I just couldn't remember it very briefly. You know the way that happens. Like when you meet somebody in the street and you know their name and you're like, hi, hi. And it's not awkward unless you're with somebody else. And then you're expected to introduce them. And then you don't introduce them because you can't remember their name. And then it becomes really awkward. And then, oh, yeah. But anyway, it's a bit like that. So sorry, book. Sorry. Sorry. But I'll give you a copy of that to give away as well. Uh, All you have to do, I guess, is just send an email to competition at arsblog.com and say that you're entering the competition. Uh, Because I can't think of a question. My mind has gone blank. It's like when you meet someone and you can't remember their name. Anyway, just send an email uh, with your name and address to competition at arsblog.com and I'll pick one of the winners and give that away on next week's Arscast. For those of you who are interested very vaguely in the other Andrew Mangan, who I get emails for all the time, I think I found him. I've tracked him down, honestly. I saw um, somebody post a thing on, on Twitter, and there's an interview with him. It's in my favorites right here. Hang on, just uh, I'll just get a click on it here, and basically he is, um, I would say, a studious looking chap. He's a publishing intern, something to do with Colorado State University, and well, you know, he's originally from St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis C K. No, I don't know St. Louis. That's how you say it, isn't it? I just naturally say that. Uh, and he says at any given moment, he's probably eating a turkey sandwich. So you'd expect him to be enormously fat. And he's not. He's just a regular, normal-sized guy. But he looks like he's on his MacBook. In the article, you can see pictures of him. He's on his MacBook. You would figure he knows what his own email address is. So I, I looked him up a bit further on Google. I tracked down his LinkedIn Because I couldn't find his email address anywhere because, you know, his his, is mine. So I tracked down his LinkedIn and I sent him an email on LinkedIn. Said, you know, we should chat about your email, man. I'm getting some stuff for you that I shouldn't be. I left it at that because that would certainly make him think, uh oh, what emails don't I want anyone to get? Oh, no, there wouldn't be anything. Oh, there might be one or two. Oh, and that way he'd be be—he'd definitely get back to me. But then I looked at his LinkedIn account, and he hasn't updated it since 2012. So we'll see. We'll see. But I know who he is now. I've got a face to the name. I was still getting stuff all this week about progress and making changes and democracy and all those kind of things, those abstract concepts that he's into. Um, but, we'll you know... We'll see if he gets back to me, this other Andrew Mangan chap. So, right, what's going on this weekend? Manchester United team news is that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is out. He's not going to be back. Uh, Arsene Wenger says about Aaron Ramsey, he's not in training yet, which is a bit of a worry because I didn't know he was he was injured. Maybe they were just resting him a little bit. Uh, but he said he should be better tomorrow. Um, Debussy... Arteta also out, and Danny Welbeck has a little possibility to be fit. He says maybe Welbeck will be available, but at the moment he looks short. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, would you play Welbeck if he was just back from injury ahead of Giroud who hasn't scored in five games? Do, how do you weigh it up? The need to do something new or stick with Giroud because the law of averages says at some point he's got to score again. How long can his drought go on? Alexis had a, an eight-game drought in the middle of the season. Giroud's gone five. Stick well back in there against his old club. He's got no problem playing him if he's just back from injury. He did that against Tottenham, if you remember. Not that it worked out particularly well, but that was a much longer injury. This has only been a couple of games that he's been out. Beyond that, though, I can't see too many changes. Uh, either in the personnel or the structure of the team for this particular game. Because, well, you, are you going to play Theo Walcott against Ashley Young? And Ashley Young, for some weird reason, has been playing well. And Theo Walcott is not the most defensively astute player that we have. So if you need somebody to track the runs of Ashley Young and put put in the odd tackle, uh, I'm not sure Walcott is that guy. So does he get into the team on the right-hand side? I don't think so. He's going to go for either Wilshire or Ramsey, I would say. Uh, does he play Walcott up front? Not sure about that either because, well, that's um, it's not really his best position either. And then against Manchester United, you probably need somebody with a bit more physical presence. So it wouldn't surprise me that if Welbeck didn't make it, then we play the unchanged lineup for the sixth consecutive game. I know some people put a bit of blame on this lack of rotation or lack of freshness or perhaps things going a little bit stale against Swansea, which I understand to a certain extent, but fine margins again. And look, it's been working out pretty well for the most part uh, with that lineup. Um, so so why not? Especially away from home where we're not necessarily expected to be as expansive uh, as, as we would be at home. So we'll see. But anyway, let's hope that we um, do the business against Manchester United. We will, of course, look uh, look back on that game in the Arscast Extra on Monday. The game is happening on Sunday, thankfully, so it doesn't fuck up my entire week in terms of time where I think it's Tuesday and it's actually Wednesday and everything is all a bit up in the air not that I measure my life out in when I do the Arscast but it has a big influence on what my brain thinks the day is so at least Sunday is a normal weekend day so we'll do that on the Arscast Extra on Monday myself and James will look back at the events of Old Trafford look ahead to the game at the Emirates against Sunderland on Wednesday and then we head into the final week of the season and well let's hope it goes as well as uh, we all hope that it might so look until Monday and until next week's Cast, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
3: Hello, Barcelona. Hello. Yes, Arsenal here. Us again, I know. I know. You must be sick of hearing from us. How is Thomas, by the way? Thomas Vermalen. Oh. Oh. Oh, that is a shame. That's a shame. Maybe next season, eh? Yes. Yes. Anyway, look, um, small little thing. We just noticed... And in the contract we uh, we put together for Emmanuel Petit when he joined, we just found this r- rather obscure clause. Um, it says that if you're to find a little Argentinian fellow born in June 1987, no taller than five foot seven, who scores 452 goals before he's 28, something like that, then you owe us. Fifty million pounds. And the Sagrada Familia. So, you know, if you could just wire the money and dismantle the cathedral, send it all over, that'd be that'd be great. Oh, I look, I know. I know this must be very painful for you, but look on the bright side. Now you've paid for two-thirds of the stadium. Ta-ta!
0: This holiday season, treat yourself...